0: Welcome to the podcast. We Do Recover with Jared Miller, your host.
1: And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like.
0: Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. It is a beautiful day down here in Southern Utah. Love, love, love these Fridays. Thank you for joining us for episode 38 of We Do Recover. I'm your host, Jared Miller. Today I'm joined over the world wide web by your co-host. Not in studio. Not in mm-hmm. studio. A board certified addictionologist, AKA the doc, Terry Sellers.
1: Good morning, everybody. We're glad, Good
0: morning. That, glad that right. we were able to figure it out and have you on here. We also have yep. our producer that makes this thing possible, Sean Deniman. Hey, He's working the keys over there. And I'm super excited to have my buddy, and his brand new fiance, we're gonna get to that, DJ and Danielle. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you you for having us on. Thank you. Murphy's Law has been in full effect today, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, so much.
0: And you guys have been patient and just, man, it's been a joy to to be able to spend the morning with you. So thank you guys. Thank Thank you. You. So before we get to uh, new and goods, episode 38, part one is brought to you by Steps Recovery Center, where addiction ends and healing begins. I say this every week, but seriously, if you or a loved one need help, don't hesitate to call 801-800-8142. They can get you some help, lots of resources. Don't hesitate. Give them a call. So with that, Dr. Terry Sellers, what's new and good? What's going on?
1: Uh, new new and good. So it feels to me like I've got quite the delay today. I don't know why, but, um, I'm echoing in my own ears, so I'm going to play with my stuff. But uh, new and good is – I'm on a board. I'm on a board of the Sobriety Foundation, and we had our first board meeting last night. I've never been on, like, a board of anything. So it's to me, it's kind of cool. That's my new and good. That is
0: cool. How did that go?
1: A new experience for you? Great. Yeah. So the Sobriety Foundation, for our listeners – If they remember, Susan Peterson was on our podcast about, I don't know, a month and a half ago maybe? About a month ago, yeah. Yeah, and she's the executive director of the Sobriety Foundation, and they give away scholarships for, um, for sober living, for people to have their first two months of sober living completely free. And they gave away 105 scholarships last year, so they're aiming for more this year. Pretty exciting.
0: That's awesome we even did a little fundraiser and raised a thousand dollars in fact DJ's got on one of the hats mm-hmm. right so we're yep. society navigate us over lifestyle and Danielle's got on one of the t-shirts right What? Yep. it's the family member version no one fights
1: alone <laughs> love hey, it can I uh, give a shout out to where it belongs yeah of course you did you did the fundraiser oh thank you. I appreciate
0: it. everybody <laughs> all, helped out all, you amazing all, people in you. recovery that 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 helped by by buying and donating. So, well, awesome! Thanks. It's a good new and it's a great new and good, Doc. Yeah, thanks. What's new and good in your guys's world, ladies first? Danielle, what's new and good?
3: Um, I'm just working and supporting DJ and all that he's doing, and uh, just taking care of my baby.
0: Nice. Hey, that's new and good, right? Mm-hmm. Baby boy. Yep. Today is what.
3: Today, he's nine months.
0: Oh, that's exciting. Nine mm-hmm. months old. That's so cool. They were showing me pictures before the podcast. Cute little guy. Mm-hmm. DJ, I, you're, his name's Dustin, but I, he's my buddy. I call him DJ. Yeah. Man, you, you, you're you
2: a lucky dude. I am. I'm yeah. a very lucky guy. I honestly can say I'm truly happy at this moment. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Good, man. So what's new and good for you? Uh, You know, I have a lot new and good. Um mostly right now. I just got like my official letter to Dixie State University. So I'm pretty stoked about that because like not only am I the first person to ever go to college in my family, but like coming from where I was to where I am now, it's just like, I never would have thought that I would ever have the opportunity to do that. So like, that's just one of the things that I'm just super stoked about.
0: Amen, bro. Amen. Like I, that, that, that brings my heart joy. It really does. First generation student. He's been through this thing they call the disease of addiction on the other side in a life of recovery, just barely got accepted to DSU. That is an amazing new and good. I like that.
1: It's not going to talk. I love that too. That's really exciting. That is right. Yeah. That's super cool.
2: Oh, and it's for my, it's for my bachelor's in psychology too. So I'm actually going to work in the addiction field. I want to go back and get my master's in uh, LCSW. He wants to.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. That's super cool. Jared, yeah, what's new and good?
0: I appreciate you asking that. So I'm pretty, I'm like nervous because tomorrow I, I, so last week we had on Jason Coombs, right. And he did the, the iron man. And so I, my fiance, Amanda, she, Mandy, she's a sweetheart. She tells me, um, Hey babe, guess what? I'm like, what? And she's like, I signed you up and I'm like, for what? And so we got, we got a, a uh, mud run. A three-mile mud run out in Hurricane tomorrow. That's cool. Yes, what? yes, and our team name is the Dirty Mother Truckers. Nice. Yeah, pretty we sweet, like right? <laughs> and it's it's so she's a teacher, and it's like a bunch of her teacher friends and and people. So it'll be cool because she, uh, she's always so supportive of the stuff that I do and mm-hmm. tagging along. And so it'll be cool to be able to be supportive of the you know the mud run that we got going on. So that's new and good in my world. Getting ready to get in the mud and get dirty and have some fun. Yeah, hey, buddy. So,
1: that, so that's amazing again, right? Yeah. Look back to the addiction days. If somebody when you were actively getting high, somebody asked you to go on a mud run, you'd have told them to go take a hike. Yeah. Yeah. No. You would seen that as fun at all. Right. Right.
0: That's cool. Yeah, it's way cool. I'm excited yeah. about it. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, let's jump into to DJ and Danielle here. So I understand you guys are engaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. When did that
2: happen? Valentine's Day. Get up on your mic for me. Valentine? Valentine's Day. Aren't you just yep. the romantic type, huh? Yeah, I wanted it to be really special, you know. And I was gonna wait till our one year anniversary. Like I actually like m- played up to it like so good. Like <laughs> I'm like, we went and che- got my necklace cleaned, and she's like checking out rings, and I'm like, yeah, but don't worry, it's not gonna be a while before I even ask you, and I was already planning on asking. And then like I had it all planned out, so it was pretty cool.
0: Man, that's that's too funny. How did you feel about that, Danielle?
3: I was actually surprised because I was <laughs> thinking it was gonna be the one year maybe later. So like when he asked me, I thought it was a joke.
0: Yeah, because he'd been <laughs> gaslighting you the whole time, right? <laughs> yeah. Like he'd yeah. been basically setting you up for this
2: this far out expectation. Yeah, it's crazy. It was horrible too because even on Valentine's Day, like I totally didn't get her anything, and then like she brought me my gift. <laughs> And I'm like, I gotta go run and get you your Valentine's Day present. Like, I wanted her to think I didn't get her anything. And then I already had it all planned out. So I'm like, it was. <laughs> now that I look back on her, and I'm like, well, I probably could have done that differently. Cause she was so shocked that, like, she's like, when we were in the middle of it, she's like, put that ring away. Like, put that away. <laughs> like, and goes back to picking out the prize. And I'm just like, oh my God. It was funny.
0: Let's <laughs> hear from your take. So, so to walk us through that moment for you. Like,
3: so, we got a whole bunch of tickets, so I'm standing there looking around, seeing what I want to pick out, and I, um...
0: Like, a whole bunch of tickets, hold on, I'm not understanding, where were you guys? Sir? Oh, I'm
3: sorry, we were at, a uh, Fiesta Fun.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, and, um, so I'm looking for something for Jordan, because, I mean, I don't need toys, but, so I saw this huge <laughs> submarine, and I was, like, all stoked on it, and I was like, cool, and then, um, he's like, oh, look, he's like, let's pick out a puzzle, I'm like, okay and so he i guess he sees a puzzle and he's like let's i guess get that one and he opens it up and he takes something out of it he's like look i didn't know these come with these and i see this like box and i'm like i was like Oh, okay. And then he like, he like gets down on one knee and opens it. And I'm like, what are you doing? Cause like it didn't register in my brain. It was a ring at first. I mean, I saw it, but I was like, is that like costume jewelry or like, what is that? Right. right. And then like, he asked me to marry him and like the guy, the chicken cat is watching us, everyone else watching us. And I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you're serious. He's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm, like okay. That and then awesome. they, they were like, uh, I was just in shock more than anything. I was like, wow, I, I just wasn't expecting it. Mm-hmm.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, good job. Good job, DJ, <laughs> man. You, got, you caught her off guard, <laughs> yeah, buddy. Bad.
2: Almost too much. That's awesome. What Not do you think? cool.
1: Way to make us look good, DJ. We're going to claim <laughs> all males as you. You represent all of us. So that was well done. Yes, we can be creative sometimes, can't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we put
0: our minds to it. Yep. That's awesome. That's awesome. So this is a podcast about addiction, mm-hmm. right? Recovery mm-hmm. from addiction though. So let's get into it. For relatability, tell us a little bit about each one of your guys' journeys, kind of where you've come from, the things, right? Um, go ahead, Danielle.
3: Um, well, I'm uh actually from Southern Orange County, California. Um SOCO. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the OC. And uh i uh pretty much um let's see well where it all started was i was um diagnosed diagnosed with depression at age 16 and uh, i started getting into um alcohol heavily um even at that age and then um after that as i got older and was able to like start going out to bars and everything then that's when um uh drugs are introduced to me so then, and then it just took off from there. I was partying all the time, hanging out with the wrong kind of people, um, dating the wrong kind of people, and it just the drugs just started piling up and piling up and piling up until it was out of control.
0: That's when the obsession began for you. Yeah. Gotcha. Age sixteen. Mm-hmm. What yeah.
1: uh, What was the time frame between your first drink and when it became a problem for you?
3: I would have to say. At the peak of my problem was about 22.
1: Okay. So, um, but when did, so you started, you took your first drink at 16. Is that what I'm getting out of that? Yes. Okay. And then um, your peak was 22, but when did you, when looking back, maybe you didn't notice it at the time, but looking back, when would you say it became a problem?
0: Like when did did you ever try to stop and realize, oh man, I can't put the brakes on this thing. This locomotive is moving and I can't stop it.
3: Oh, when I figured out it was a pro- Oh.
0: Yeah.
3: Oh, that wasn't until I was almost 30.
0: Got you. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So, we're in this thinking process, did you think this is just life? Like, this is just yeah. normal?
3: Yeah. I you just thought, just- I'm just living my life. I'm just having fun, living my life and all that. So, I was just drinking, partying, hanging out with the wrong people and didn't bother to do much of anything else.
0: Yeah, creep up on you. Mm-hmm. It's not uncommon. Yeah. yeah, DJ, how about for you, man? When did when did you kind of get into this thing we call a substance use disorder?
2: Mine's kind of the same as hers, honestly. Like I first started like when I was really young. Um, I just started smoking pot and drinking and going to parties like every weekend. You say
0: really young. We've had people on here that started at like age eight. So what's really young?
2: Uh, about 10, ten, eleven. Ten, eleven. My first joint, and then I started going to parties. Um, in seventh grade, I started partying every weekend um, basically would just keep continuing to party and I was the same way like it was just life for me. Like I didn't know any other life I didn't have a family home. I didn't have anything else to look forward to so all I did was like I got accepted into the parties because like I was crazy and um, so I would just go out and just do all the partying and then I started you know getting into the harder stuff once I started um Experimenting a little more. It was mostly my brother who was older than me. I really wanted to be like him. So I basically did everything that he did. And it got to the point where just um, I was like his shadow. And then um, at that point, it wasn't until like I'd say about the same like I was just living my life, you know? It wasn't until like I really started getting into the, um, the hardcore addiction that I realized that I had a problem. And that was about 15 years ago when I was about 21, 22 when I first tried my first opiate. Um, and that was basically like me signing over my life at that point. That's the way I look at it. So yeah. Yeah. You, you, you'd
0: lost your control right at Mm -hmm. that point. Like it was no longer a choice. So Dr. Sellers, why is it? I I mean, obviously introducing these mind controlling substances into our body is always going to be dangerous, but especially in adolescence, like that's a super common theme that it seems like on this podcast.
1: Right, right. So we know that drugs and alcohol all affect the brain, right? Yeah. But can affect the brain most easily when it's developing. Once you reach full adulthood and your brain is fully developed, sure, drugs and alcohol do affect your brain, but not they don't cause the same kind of damage as a brain that's in the development stages. Mm. So for a... You know, for basically for a female brain, they're basically fully developed at about age 21. And for a male, it's about age 24. Although I would submit that my brain hasn't fully developed yet, nor has yours. so <laughs> Or mine. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but the, anything before those ages uh, can really hinder the development of the brain, which will have absolutely long-term ramifications.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. See, do you see why we have a board certified addictionologist on this thing? Like that's great. And also I think too, from kind of a clinical or, or, you know, therapeutic working as a counselor, I, what I notice is it becomes part of people's, they identify that way, right? Like they both said until I hit late into my twenties and thirties, I just thought this was life. Like I identified as somebody who it was normal to drink. It was normal to go to parties. It was normal to woo, right? Life of the party. This is my identity. And so it gets, especially at a younger age, you get you get wrapped up in this is who I am. Does that make sense? It becomes part of your, your, yeah, your morals, your values, like the way you identify, which is super dangerous too, because then you're setting yourself up for the rest of your life as it's just normal.
2: Right. Yeah. I would say a lot of it was just that I didn't know any better. You know, I think yeah. that maybe with a little more guidance, um, understanding what it was like, I think like, the main thing was is like we you know we were talking about it earlier, like what is that? I want to try that. Like oh alcohol, ooh, ooh. don't try it. No, the I'm gonna fruit. try it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I <laughs> you must tell know. Me, don't push that button. Like I'm gonna want to push the button. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Like, I want to know why. I'm gonna push the button. So I think with a little more guidance, I would have probably, you know, maybe had another chance, a different life. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: But another point that about that Jared that you just pointed out is. One of the things we develop as our brain develops is we develop impulse control, right? Mm, when you yep. when you think about a, say, nine-month-old baby, for example. I don't know why I picked that age out of my hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> uh, when you take a nine-month-old baby, they have no impulse control. Like if they see something, they want to do it, they're doing it. Yeah. Right? When it's time to eat, if you don't feed them, they're crying. They can't postpone that at all. When it's time to poop, they poop, period, no matter whether they're in a diaper or not and then slowly over time we develop impulse control and so and it's not fully developed until the brain is fully developed. So with that in mind if you start introducing substances which require some impulse control to help combat and you don't haven't developed that yet, yeah, now the substance is actually slightly more addictive to a non-developed brain than it is to a fully developed brain.
0: Yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point.
1: So on that
0: note, this is going to kind of roll me into Danielle, mm-hmm. you recently saw, so we only have Dr. Sellers. He might jump off because he's got some patients he's got to see today. So I want to get this while he's on here. Okay. So, um, today's just going to be a beautiful disaster. It started that way and it's going to end that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so yep. you saw a movie. Mm-hmm. What was the name of the movie?
3: Four good days. Four
0: good days. Mm-hmm. I me and me and Mandy also went and saw that movie. Um, and talk to me about the movie. Like what was kind of your takeaway from it? How did you feel about it?
3: Well, uh, to be honest, I was surprised cause I don't normally cry during movies, but like right as soon as it started, right off the bat, I started tearing up and it was mostly because like the moment I saw her as the door was opened
1: mm-hmm. and I was just
3: looking at her face, like I just immediately started crying. And then her mom's reaction brought me back to when, um, my mom first saw me at my total bottom point, And then the stepdad's reaction to it and everything. And I was just like, wow, this is, this is kind of really similar to what happened to me.
0: Yeah. It's, cr- it's crazy. Right. And to give you, to give our listeners kind of a, a brief idea of what happens it really, what I loved about it is it shows the family dynamic between the family members and, and the person who's struggling with the substance use disorder. The thing that So I loved that part and it showed the unmanageability, right. And the powerlessness and like all the, in the codependency that the mom had. Right. And it just, it's, it's beautiful how they painted that, that dynamic. There is real life stuff. Like that is a really good picture of what it's like. Um, the thing I absolutely hated about it is the whole movie is based on this idea that the Vivitrol shot, like she has to make it four days clean so that Mm. she can get the Vivitrol shot. And the whole time, like her codependent mom is just like, you know, oh, you know, only two more days. And, and then, you know, she, she gets to a point where she manipulates her mom and says, oh, they canceled the appointment. And the mom's like, How, do they not know that 24 hours is like a lifetime for us? And it's all based on this premise that once she gets the shot, she's going to be cured. Yeah. Like all of a sudden the obsession and the desire is going to, going to leave her. And, and so two things that I was thinking, one of them was, this is a prime reason why people go to treatment because just seeing the sickness in that house when they're waiting out the four days was like, Oh man, this, like there are professionals that do this. This is why treatment is so important. The other thing that i take away from it is just because you get a Vivitrol shot, doesn't take away that obsession. So Dr. Sellers, while we got you, can you kind of address that from a medical standpoint, What is Vivitrol, what does it do and why does it not completely take away the obsession to use?
1: Well, I got to point out the, you know, I love pointing out when Hollywood makes factual mistakes, but (laughs) the the manufacturer of Vivitrol recommends seven days, four days, you might still get sick. So, um, so they should have made a seven more days or seven good days. I mean, movie, but so she
0: had three when she saw the doctor, right? She had three days clean. Yeah.
1: Okay. So they made it go four more. Okay. That makes sense. So Vivitrol we've talked about this before, I think, but Vivitrol goes into the brain and binds to mu opioid receptors. And, but what it does is it binds to them, but it does not turn them on. And so uh, the opiates have to exert their mechanism of action by binding to a receptor. If you just have free floating heroin in your bloodstream, but it never binds to a receptor, it will not affect your brain. But, if it binds to it that's where you get all the effects right and so the naltrexone binds to that receptor and it binds stronger than heroin does and it um, but it doesn't turn the receptor on so now if you have vivitrol on board and you use some opiates of any kind whether it be heroin or pills or whatever the heroin will float around in your system but it can't bind to receptors so you can't you won't get high on vivitrol with that little bit that happens in the brain it it also reduces cravings and part of that is uh, actually physical stuff but part of it might just be uh, completely psychological you if you know you can't get high on heroin you probably aren't gonna crave it as much but yeah. there is also an, a mechanism in the brain where it actually does reduce cravings that's not all like in your head so to speak
0: yeah and DJ I know that your DOC, it was opiates. Yeah. So talk to talk to me a little bit about what did that look like for you? Like, what was the because right? You you went through, you got clean, but how was those? What was that for you? Like the triggers and that mental obsession, right? Like, can you talk to me a little bit about from your experience what that
2: looked like? Yeah. I mean, heroin is a horrible drug, and for twenty years, I constantly would um, try and quit, and you know, basically i'd get on methadone and i would do whatever i could but i would never stop using i would keep continue to using and you know whenever i would want to try and stop using like i would go to gel and then i would just go right back out and continue to use because i never had that obsession removed from me mm-hmm. you know i never even heard of vivitrol um up until about a year ago um, so for me i was just constantly just getting back in that cycle um, I never really wanted to quit. I think the the main thing is like there's these shots that can help there's rehab There's and, you know all this stuff that can help but ultimately you've got to want it And I think that was the biggest thing this time is I finally just I wanted to change and I was willing to do everything I had to To get in. Yeah, and we're gonna get into more of that in part two I'm glad you brought that
0: up mm-hmm. your DOC's is a little different right mm-hmm. Danielle. Yes, they don't do they make a shot for cocaine I don't think they do. I don't think so. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about what your obsession looked like, right? And, and the brokenness and, and the cravings and things like that.
3: Um, well, with me, like once I tried one, I wanted to try them all mm. except for heroin. Um, but uh, so it was like, I, uh, I was mostly in the beginning. It was like, I think the first thing I tried, of course, is weed. And then, um, then it went into Coke and then I started, I was a raver for a little bit. So then I got into psychedelics, like, uh, ecstasy, acid, ketamine. Um, I did shrooms sometimes. Um, and then alcohol is still swirling within all this. And then, uh, got uh, a couple times into meth. And then this last time into meth, um, that's where the biggest problem started.
0: Got yeah. So it sounds like your obsession was more just whatever you could get your hands on to take away the the unmanageability and the uncomfortableness that you were feeling at the time is that safe to say? Yes. Yeah, and the scary thing that I want to point out is there isn't always medication assisted treatment for these different
1: narcotics that we put into our body. Right, Dr. Sellers? Yeah, that's a great point. There is no real so medica- medication assisted treatment or MAT. Really works for alcohol, works for opiates, but there is no medication-assisted treatment for benzodiazepines, for all of the psychedelics that you just mentioned, and even the ones you didn't mention, stimulants like uh, like Adderall and cocaine and meth. Well, I just, I
0: yeah, we're running out of time in this part one. Join us for part two. We're gonna get more into Danielle right and DJ. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery and once you become of The Steps family, you're just a part of The Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality
1: that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization.
0: We welcome you back
1: to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers.
0: Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn.
1: And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers.
0: Thank you, Desmond Lomax, for that sponsorship mention. Thank you guys for joining us back here in part two of episode 38. So episode 38, part two is brought to you by the Hilton Garden Inn. It's always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. If you're traveling through southern Utah or you want to plan a getaway, give them a Google search. Just type in Hilton Garden Inn, St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities. We love those guys. They're good to us. So, in the first part, we really talked about a lot of different stuff, right? That was a little bit of a whirlwind. (laughs) Here in part two, I'm hoping to get kind of into your guys' stories and your guys' life in recovery today. So, I want to ask... Just let's touch on at what point there's a, there's always a point in DJ touched on it where, where you come to this realization that I don't really want to live this lifestyle anymore. Right? Like, has that, is that true for both of you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can't always stop that locomotive once it gets rolling though. Right? Like if you think of a train, it takes all this momentum to get going. And once it's going and it's going, it doesn't stop on a dime. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about what did treatment look like for you guys? What did your rock bottom look like? Danielle, we'll start with you ladies first.
3: Um, my rock bottom was, uh, I, uh, actually had came out here in May, 2019. I went to BMed. I got better. Then I went right back into what tore me down before. And then it happened again. And the moment it happened again, I realized I was like, I need help. Mm. And, uh, so I, uh, came back out here. I got help this time. This time I actually stayed. I started treatment at Southwest. Um, I've actually been in it for a year and a half. Um, my main focus with all that, though, was my mental health. Because of my um, meth use, I had developed acute psychosis. Mm, which, yeah, um, very scary stuff. And um, I am almost two years clean now, but I still sometimes get the uh, side effects of it. Um, so I am on Sertraline, hundred milligrams, which is for social anxiety, depression, uh, PTSD among other things. And that helps a lot. So, um, that helps with the, what's left, what's left over in my brain.
2: <laughs> I love
0: that. And yeah. I think a lot of, she said something that I want to point out mental health. So substance use disorder is a mental health, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot of times I feel like we, we separate the two and we shouldn't mm-hmm. because it is substance use disorder amongst schizophrenia, bipolar, right? Like all these other ones, it is a mental health. So thank you. And I couldn't even, I wouldn't, I would never have guessed that you have a social anxiety because you're on a podcast right now telling (laughs) your story. Like, look how far, look at what is possible in
1: recovery. Mm -hmm. We do recover people. Yeah, It's amazing. It's amazing. Hey, can I point something out real quick, please? I know we uh, ran a long last time, and I'll try not to be so long-winded. Also, I'm going to have to step out about six more minutes. But um, So, methamphetamine and uh, mostly meth, but methamphetamine can cause uh, psychosis. And um, it sometimes is temporary happening just when you're using meth or shortly thereafter. But occasionally, it can be permanent. Sometimes people who were not psychotic before use meth and become psychotic and stay psychotic. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about scary, I'm just gonna describe really quickly, and Danielle can probably describe some of her stuff, um, but I saw a guy just yes, just the day before yesterday who was using meth and somehow has decided now, and this he totally believes this, somehow has decided that people on the street have gone up through his rectum and removed organs out of his abdomen. Wow. He thinks his kidneys are missing mm-hmm. and he thinks somebody on the street did that and they did that surgery through his rectum. which, listen, I don't mean to um, I don't mean to be crude or anything on the podcast, but that's his level of psychosis. And for those of you that aren't as familiar with anatomy maybe as I am, you can't get the kidneys out through the <laughs> rectum. Sorry. The best surgeon on the planet couldn't do that. But you can't talk reason with people who are psychotic. I can't yeah. tell him that and have him believe it. He's convinced somebody pulled his kidneys out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just safe to say without going into a lot of the craziness, right? That, mm-hmm. that, uh, that substance is, it can change you permanently. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. DJ. What did that look like for you? Rock bottom decision that you no longer wanted to live this lifestyle decision that you wanted to make a change in
2: your life. Yeah, that's easy for me. You know, I finally um, had reached my end. I unfortunately, I lost my mother to an overdose back in April of 2017. Sorry. And yeah, I went pretty deep after that um, for another three years. But thank God I got arrested. Like, a lot of people get pissed off when they get arrested, but, you know, ultimately, like, I'm so grateful that I finally went back to the jail because it was right there in in detox that I finally started to feel my emotions, and I just remember, you know, like it was yesterday, I just remember saying, my mom's gone. Like, I came to the realization, like, she's gone, and it's because of freaking drugs. Like, I immediately, right there, I just hated it. Like, I wanted a better life, you know, and so... I just finally said, you know, I can't do this. I obviously, you know, I'm 35 years old. I have nothing to show for my life. I've been an addict for damn near all my life and I just, I can't do this. I need help. And so I remember I got down and I just dropped to my knees and I said, help me. I need help. Like I cannot control this will. I need help. And I surrendered. I surrendered to whatever I needed to surrender to, to, to find a new way to live. And, and what happened
0: through that jailhouse prayer for you?
2: So it was kind of weird. Um, I was supposed to go to prison and for some reason, the judge, my judge was just like, you know what, um, I'm going to give you one more chance. Like I'm going to send you to rehab. You've never been to rehab before. I don't know why, but we're going to give you this one chance. And so they put me in a a 90 day program in the jail. Um, but weird enough, COVID hit and it got shut down. So. I started noticing these these addict mentalities start to pop up, like, I need to get out, I can get out, and I started making phone calls, and they were going to let me out, but my prosecutor was just like, no, we're not letting you out, and that's where <laughs> I ended up going to the rehab that I went to crossover, and it was, you know, I wanted it, so from day one, I was just like ready and willing, and just took everything in as a sponge, and just kept moving forward, finding what I had to do, because I remember when I surrendered, I, whatever I need to do, I'm going to do it, Because I need to be done. The gift of desperation. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And just, you know, knowing that, you know, my mother gave her life for me and I have to, I have to use that. I have to go on. I have to continue to better my life and help out any of those that I can in the process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dr. Sellers, while we still got you.
1: You still got me.
0: Any uh, takeaway or anything you want to point out from that? Um, no. (laughs) You know, I, I, I really appreciate that. He said that he realized that he'd lost his mom due to drugs, right? Like, because I can, I can remember having that same feeling when I lost my brother. And that's when I started to, to realize something that I think is incredibly important to, to point out. Substance use disorder and addiction is one of the biggest lies that we buy, that we buy into, right? Like by taking this, it's going to heal me. By taking this, it's going to be cool. By taking this, it's going to, you know, numb my pain. And then when you experience losing somebody, it really opens up your eyes to, this is a bunch of BS. Mm -hmm. This really isn't like, how cool is detoxing in a jail cell? Sucks. Not very cool, right? Like, why don't they make any Hollywood films about that? Because it's, (laughs) it's ugly, right? But it's the truth of it. When you're detoxing in a jail cell, finally the emotions are hitting you that you've lost your mom to this thing. I mean, that's oh, that's an eye-opener, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us.
1: You're
0: yeah, I can see you're getting teared up, man. I can yeah. tell that meant a lot to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for the vulnerability. So fast forward, you left. What were kind of some, I always like to, I forget this part, and so I rem, I'm glad I remembered it. What were some of the struggles that you both faced in, in early, early recovery. So Danielle, what were you, can you remember some, some things that you really struggled with some triggers, right? That, that you really had a hard time with that you had to overcome?
3: Yes. Um, at first I didn't know alcohol was considered a drug. So I thought even though I was in treatment, I could still drink and then I found out alcohol was a drug and I can't drink. And I was like, Oh boy. (laughs) So, um, I was like, okay, well, that's, that's, that's fine. Um, and then, um, I had this really big problem with anything that smelled like cotton candy or Ices, um, cause that was a trigger for me. Cause that's how I felt that, um, meth smelled like. Really? Yeah. That's
1: crazy. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's cool. That's I didn't, cool. Know, I didn't I know, know that either.
3: That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To me. No, you're- the-
1: your dealer was selling you cotton candy,
0: not real math. you know that? <laughs> <laughs> no. He's like, We know she's in the psychosis stage. She'll
1: buy whatever. There's some cotton candy. <laughs> Have right. a good day. <laughs> no, that sugar pill right there.
3: <laughs> right. Oh. Um and what else? Uh sometimes some people's stories trigger me a little bit. Um and uh just hearing um about stuff talking about it. But I've gotten to the point where I'm just I'm just grateful that I am where I am today. I don't have to go through that anymore.
0: I love that. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I want to, I, I, am glad that you said it. Some people's stories can trigger mm-hmm. because look, there, are there are podcasts about addiction out there and, and I've experienced it because I've been a guest on several podcasts where they just want the dirt, yeah. right? Like they just want to hear the nastiness, the shock factor, you know, and, and So when, when me and the doc were putting this thing together, we're like, we want something classy. We want something that our families can listen to and be proud of, Mm -hmm. you know? So I appreciate that because I think a lot of times it's healing for us to talk about the things we've been through, but also it can be dangerous for other people listening. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we got some people in early recovery, early recovery that draw strength from these podcasts. The last thing we want to do is glorify. Last thing we want to do is trigger. Mm -hmm. So thank you for pointing that out.
1: So, DJ. Hey, I do have a comment. Can I make one real quick? Yeah, please. Uh, I may not have to leave as soon as I thought, but um, there is a takeaway that I got out of DJ's thing. It just takes me a minute to get around to it, but um, people that are actively in addiction typically are in high amounts of pain. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the pain is actually physical, but sometimes it's just psychological. And when I say just psychological, I mean sometimes it's not physical, right? And so when you look at this, like part of his story that he just told us was his mom passed away and he used more, right? Right. His mom passed away from an overdose and he used more nonsensical doesn't make any sense at all, Mm -hmm. right? A loved one just dies from drugs and you go out and use drugs. And I think the important point of that um, that drug use doesn't make sense. Like, don't try to be logical about it. Family members want the, lo- the addict to be logical. Now, recovery has to be logical, but the actual use doesn't make sense. And so trying to reason with somebody who's using, logic's not going to work. That's not where they are. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. All right, DJ, you ready? Mm-hmm. So what was it for you? What were the, some of the struggles, the triggers, the things that you had to overcome in early recovery? Like I want to hear, like for me, dude, I had to work as a janitor, right? Here I was, bachelor's degree, oh. felt like I had all this stuff and right? Like I know Dr. Sellers went from being a, a you know, a labor and delivery doctor to scooping cookies, right? Like like what were some of the things that you were just like, man,
2: so, I mean, I, I consider myself blessed. I, I, I did struggle, but I think the main thing that I, um, I kind of did differently this time was just uh, let go to my higher power. But the biggest thing that I've dealt with was um, when I was in rehab, um, when I first you know started doing that, was the fact that all the demons that I had hidden inside me, um making sure that i had all that dealt with because like the biggest thing that i dealt with was the fact that um during my mother's overdose i was the one that got her high um and yeah i know afterwards she went and and took a bunch of extra stuff um xanax and blood pressure medication come to find out later she you know had tried to commit suicide a few times before that so i don't really know what happened but i for those three years i blamed myself you know i literally hated myself yeah. you know, and so for me like that was the biggest thing is letting go of all that guilt and shame and you know the blaming of my my father who I blamed for so long but like I freaking wanted cravings I literally even though I was done like I still have cravings to this day so for me it was just like When I, that first week I got out all the places that I had gotten high at, I would just go to and I would just literally freak out because like I had never been there clean. And so for me, this was all new, but like the PTSD started hitting and I started thinking about getting high. Like I do not want to get high, but here I am thinking about wanting to get high. And so it was a huge struggle for me to like deal with those, those triggers. But I think the main thing is, is the treatment. That i was in and then the aftercare the outpatient all that stuff to make sure that i have the triggers the tools to take care of the triggers so um but yeah working was really hard you know i went into alcohol hold on dude you're crazy
0: like you went to places that you used to score in like so I just wanna point out we don't recommend that, DJ. No, no, right? like, I mean I'm just talking like <laughs> but you made it through clean, but I'm just saying, like if you're listening to this right now, we do not recommend no. it. We call it stay away from slippery places, right? Find a different playground. All the little uh sayings
2: that we have, right? Like See, and that's the thing is, like, it sounds, I, I, from where <laughs> you're coming from, it does sound like I actually went to, like, my friend's houses and the dealer's houses. I'm talking about, like, the Maverick bathroom. Oh, and, like, okay. And, like, like, for me, like, I was, areas, in, I was in areas. addiction for so long that everywhere in life mm-hmm. was a place that I had used and gone to. So, let me, you know, redirect that and say I wasn't going to <laughs> okay, <the> okay. friend's <laughs> houses. I stayed far away from anybody who had anything dealt with. You know, I'm talking about just, just going to like, when I started work at Applebee's, like to the bathroom, the bathroom is identical to the one at my work. And I would just go in there and immediately I would go back to that day, that night, all that crap that I went through. And even after everything I've gone through, I still wanted to get high. And then immediately you have to just deal with that. And then, you know, you go into like, well, I know I lost my mother and I don't want to be homeless and I don't want to stink. And you just go into all the crap that comes with it because getting high is not fun. Like you said, like we may think that it is, but ultimately like so many addicts or active addiction want to quit. It's, It's the biggest
0: lie we tell ourselves. Horrible. Yep. Yep. And you talked about playing the tape all the way through, Right. Uh, Think of your worst 15 seconds, like all those things are help counter counteract that trigger. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that's good. For sure. It's good. Dr. Sellers, you're looking like you had something you wanted to say.
1: Oh, I don't know. Not really. I, I, I like what he's saying. It makes a lot of sense to me. And yeah, I mean, there are sometimes you you can't avoid places that will trigger you. But to your point, also, an alcoholic has no business in a bar. Right. Right. There's nothing that happens in a bar that an alcoholic needs to be there for. So we try to avoid them, but sometimes you just can't. And when you can't, you're going to have cravings sometimes. Mm -hmm. And when you have cravings, yeah, there's we one of the things we learn in treatment, I hope, is how to deal with cravings, how to, you know, have coping mechanisms that help us get through that time. Because cravings, again, another non-logical thing, right? Mm -hmm. You're you lost your mom to dope and you want to use dope. I uh, had the DEA search my house, and anytime I get a migraine, my brain says to me, hey, a little morphine would be great right now. We're like, no, let's think about the real stuff. It's not great. It's just not great. Yeah. And for those normies out there
0: that listen to this, my cute fiance, <laughs> I got to share this. And Dr. Seller's going <laughs> to testify to this because we called her afterward. We called him afterwards. but So we're leaving that movie, right? Four Good Days. And she's trying to understand my world. She's trying huh. to, right, to, to, to comprehend this obsession that people struggle with. And we're, we're leaving the theater, and she goes, hey, babe. And I said, yeah. And she goes, do you think that they make a shot for crumble cookie? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean, babe? And she goes, well, like triggers, like, is that like when I crave sugar and I crave a, cr- a crumble cookie? And I'm like, yay, she gets it, right? Like,
1: good job. She understood, yeah. you know? So too funny. Except, except, so my mom says to me every once in a while, she said to me early in recovery, yeah, is your like, I crave chocolate ice cream. No, that's not the same craving. Sorry. It's like right. the cravings yes. that I have are like, I'm going to die. Yeah. If, good point. If don't get some dope. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's just, it's but, it's, it's, there, but the cravings that we have as addicts, a lot worse than crumble cookies.
0: Yes. Yes. Very but, valid. But they don't make me of cookies. Very valid. Yeah. Well, let's jump into, we got five minutes left and, and this is my favorite part. So your guys' life in recovery today. What does that look like? Like, what are you involved in? What do you do? What do you, what What really helps you stay in this thing that we call a lifestyle of recovery? Because we do recover. Mm-hmm. Danielle, ladies first.
3: Um, well, I'm very involved with uh, my home group. Um, it's
0: a fellowship.
3: Yeah. So I, I chair a meeting every Friday. Um, and then we have our own meeting on Thursdays um, where we live at 7 p.m. So we do that too. And then try to make it to as many events as possible to be in the recovery community. Plus also playing recovery softball whenever that happens. That's always a lot. I enjoy that so much. Just being around everybody and playing softball. It's so fun. And uh, just doing step work and living life. I feel like recovery is a lifestyle. It's an everyday thing.
0: Well said. Mm -hmm. I love that. And you know what? I I would think being a mama is your life Mm -hmm. in recovery, right?
3: That too. Yeah. Considering, um, I didn't think I could get pregnant and then three months into recovery time, all of a sudden I'm pregnant and I'm like, wow. <laughs> well, how did was, that happen? That's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> like, that's not the,
1: yeah, we're, we're not going to go there, dog. <laughs> oh, uh, but Sorry. I, as,
0: as, as you look back, like <laughs> what you have right now, right? Like how precious is that to you? A safe place to live, Mm-hmm. You were you were giving DJ a hard time. We were walking in here saying that you know he, he's so hungry, right? Like he's a go getter. Oh yeah. Like as you reflect on your life today, like how much does that mean to you?
3: Um, it means a lot to me. I've I never thought that my life could be as good now. Um, i never thought my life could be this great. Is what so, I'm trying to say yes. Um, I just thought that I was always just gonna be what I was before and nothing, nothing was going to get better for me. Nothing was going to be better. It was just going to be whatever. And then I'm going to be gone, but, uh, it did get better and it's amazing now. And I'm just so grateful and I wouldn't change it for the world.
0: That's what I was looking for. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. All right, DJ, what's your life in recovery look like today, man? What are you involved in?
2: My life in recovery is probably the most amazing thing I've ever discovered. You know, um, I love sober softball. Being involved in the community is huge because for me, um, kind of like what she was saying, like I felt like my life was just gonna stay the same. Like I honestly convinced myself I was gonna be addicted to heroin for the rest of my life. Like I was, I came to terms with that, which is sick. But yeah. now you know the fact that I, I, we do recover, and I see that now, and I know there is another way to live. I am just constantly trying to do everything I can to just be involved and by doing this, by doing sober softball, you know, doing the, you know, um, recovery meetings, um, and the other thing is, like, I want to, to do things with my life that I've never done before. You know, like, I sang a song in front of a bunch of people, which I told my mom I was going <laughs> like to do Like 150 that. people, right? Yeah. <laughs> and <it laughs> That's was, so I was right. so yeah. freaking scared. But it was a song that I had wrote for my mom. And, it, you know, it talks about meeting her in heaven again. And I told her I was going to do that. So I did that. I've jumped off the stratosphere. You know, I want to go skydiving. like, I'm just all for just living now because all my life I've just been in this funk. I've just basically been wasting life and so for me all it is is just about living an honest program and just taking every day for the day that it is and just having a good life i got a beautiful fiance my baby um he's amazing like he's nine months old he's already almost walking and talking like man he's gonna be playing ball by like he's five you know (laughs) he's he's progressing so i'm just all about trying to make a good happy life and the main thing i do is like i work in, in recovery yeah and i'm going to school for re- for to help with uh recovery and i want to have one day i'm going to open up my own rehab but i i am I, there's no doubt about it it's not a matter of how it's a matter of when and i just want to help out at least one person if i can save one person then my life will have meaning because i know that maybe that's a mother or a son or a brother that i saved and uh it feels really good when you meet those people in, in recovery and then you see them out in the community contributing and helping out. It just warms my heart. Like I literally cry all the time now. I'm a big baby. I love it. We (laughs) get to feel
0: our emotions in recovery.
2: Oh, I love it.
0: We got about 30 seconds. Dr. Sellers, any final thoughts?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm sitting here beaming because this is the wisdom that live. Oh, we lose him. Like, listen to how smart these people are about their lives right now, and they have great blessings living recovery.
0: Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been Episode 28 with DJ and Danielle. Join us next Friday. We have Todd Sylvester, author, speaker. We'll see you guys then.
1: Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook
0: page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn.
1: This has been a production from a podcast studio.